one of my favorite scenes from reality TV was from uh, Nick and Jessica, Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson. She had gone shopping and he was like, what'd you buy? She's like, I bought sheets. And then he like looked at the receipt and he's like, you spent $1,500 on sheets? And she's like, we got the money. And he was like, I don't care. That's too much money for sheets. That's 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 steep for sheets. I'll tell you right now, y'all look at the tweet that I just sent you in our group chat and tell me if that house is worth $17.2 million. But even if I had a $17 million home, $1,500 for sheets is still steep. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Good to be with you again this Friday afternoon. We are, uh, well, sliding in, slip sliding on the snow into spring break here. And uh, the legislature has adjourned essentially for a week and a half. I mean, the Senate's going to come back and do some work next week. But the House, I guess, is really just checked out for all of next week. We'll see what happens. And today we're going to talk about uh, various aspects that we've probably missed in the last couple of weeks because uh, a lot of our conversation has been dealing with this uh, enormous hole in the side of Oklahoma politics that will be created by Senator Inhofe's retirement and the the jostling to fill that hole and then the subsequent holes that those, <laughs> those jostling members will cause uh, and just the general shift it's like one of those puzzles where you have one empty space and you have to like move the boxes around you know yes um well anyway joining me today of course are uh our other two hosts they're both excellent in their own right bailey perkins right hello hello andy thanks for being here and dr scott melson hello to you hello it uh i feel like i should tell you guys it's it is 319 uh today friday uh march the March the 11th, uh, and at this time, I am still not a candidate for United States Senate. <laughs> I really thought this was going to be the day. I thought this was going to be the day we got the announcement. Wait, just a soft announcement on the podcast. Yeah, I'm. I'm still. I'm still. I'm still not running. Uh, but apparently, neither uh, is any other Democrat. So <laughs> yeah, let's start there. So, I, I, listeners, we don't have an agenda for today. Just bear with us. We're gonna we're gonna wheel and deal our way through this like we used to before we started uh, planning out our episodes. So um, let's start there. Scott, you and I were talking before we began recording that while there's a, a handful of Republicans in, right? This week we heard T.W. Shannon join. We got Representative or Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen is in. Uh, Inhofe's Chief of Staff Luke Holland is in. Um, the GOP, <laughs> Oklahoma GOP Chairman John Bennett, isn't he in? No, he's running for Congress. Yeah, he's running for Mark Wayne's seat. That's right. Um Nathan and Dom Nathan, is running. Dom, he's in, right? So we've got four, uh, you know, fair, well-known candidates running for the Republican nomination for this Senate seat. And as of now, we don't yet have any Democrats, right? <clears throat> yeah, and it's just, it's a little weird. And I don't know, you know, I'm sure that there are some people that are, you know, some some people that are kind of still thinking about it, you know, uh, uh, former Congresswoman Kendra Horn, her camp has put out a couple of statements that have said that she's, you know, looking at things, but she's she has not made any kind of announcement. So we don't know what she's going to do if she's going to do anything. Um, there's been speculation. We had some speculation here on the pod about a few play, uh, uh, a few people. Uh, we wondered about uh, former uh, House Majority Leader Scott Inman. Nothing from him. I think uh, Dan Bourne has said that he is not interested. I don't know if he's come out and said that, but I've, I've talked to some folks who, uh, who, who have been in contact with his people, and, and he's pretty unequivocally not interested. So. I don't know. Is this just going to be? Is this going to be a Republican-only race? Are the Dems going to? Are the Dems going to field a candidate? Surely someone's going to show up, right? I mean, we've we've heard that. Like, uh, like in fact, I'm looking at our list from two episodes ago, right? Um, and several of these people have confirmed they're not going to. But uh, yeah, we just don't know. Now, do you think that we, you know, filing is in the middle of April, right? And and sometimes people just file. And don't even campaign, right? They just put their name on there. Uh, do we think we'll see any of those? Some usual names might be Tom Guild. Um, he's run several times, kind of a perennial candidate. Um, for, for Congress, though, never for Senate. 
has he not? I, has, I, don't, I don't think I don't he's. I don't, I don't think. I don't think Tom Guild's ever run for. I don't think he's ever run for Senate. His his races have all been congressional. You know, it's it's interesting. I hope we see something more than just kind of a. You know, I hope we see something more than somebody just kind of throwing their their name in the ring just because. But it's interesting. Be, you know, the we're we're approaching the end of quarter one, right? So like whoever's whoever's going to run. Um, they've got three weeks left to, to fundraise two, two weeks left to fundraise um, and announce whatever they can raise in the, in the last three weeks of the quarter. Um, and you know, that's not a lot of time. So um, we'll, we'll see if any, we'll see if anything happens, but as of now, it's a Republicans only race. Well, and if you, like, I'm looking at um, Reese Gorman, um, he is a local reporter who's keeping a spreadsheet on, you know, what's, what's going on. And he has a few Democrats on his list that are running in uh, the U S Senate race against Senator Langford. Um, that includes Madison Horn um, and a few others that don't necessarily have that name ID right now. So on his list, he has uh, Jason Bollinger, um, Bevan Rogers and Joe Stanley Glenn. Don't recognize those names, but I've met, that goes I've met to the Jason, but I, the others I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, that'll be the the test is can people raise the money that would make them a candidate that would at least get attention? And you know, are they able to uh, do the level of of campaigning to be able to to get that spark as well? Um, we knew that Abby Broyles was able to get the attention the last time that she ran against Inhofe because she was able to raise about a million dollars. And so if you aren't able to, you know, as a Democratic candidate to raise above a million dollars, you can't be even really considered a viable candidate at that statewide level. And I mean, when we say a million, that's usually like a, a minimal level. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. So Abby raised a couple of million dollars in her race, uh, although it's a drop in the bucket compared to what Inhofe had and spent. So it was not a fair fight from a fiscal standpoint, although that's not always the only measure that matters. Um, but it does seem like if, uh, if you know, there's some energy around Joy Hoffmeister running for governor, and if somebody notable got into one of these Senate races, right? I, ideally, I guess the Inhofe seat because it's an open seat. So if a, if a notable Democrat got in, th what usually happens in elections, right, is that big name is the top of the ticket, help drive turnout, and that will improve the chances of, of the same party down the ballot, right? So if you've got a couple of high-profile folks running as Democrats, then you at the top of the ticket, you might help Democratic candidates down ballot. And so... I would, I would assume that there's almost an expectation or a hope, at least, that somebody notable gets in that is able to raise money and to raise awareness of this race and to drive turnout because it would help people further down the ticket. Speaking of down the ticket, um, beyond the U.S. Senate race, um, Joshua Harris Till announced that he is running for um, Congressional District 5 as a Democrat. So uh, there is someone who has stepped up to um, to run on, on the democratic side on, on the CD five race. Absolutely. I saw that. I think that's, you know, uh, that's, that's interesting because I think he is someone who, you know, one, I mean, he's, has he run for anything before he hasn't? He right? ran for, um, I believe it was congressional district two, uh, when okay. Mullen's seat was, um that's right that's right so. that's right but he's he's someone who who has i think a pretty big online presence he's very active in the community i think he's someone who could 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 engender a substantial amount of of support um, a former uh national president of young democrats of america yeah um and yeah. so uh very involved in the political space knows a lot of the players who can bring in the resourcing to um to not have a blow off, at least in election, right? So, absolutely, absolutely. Is there you know, one th cost for running for Senate? I know, like, there's a filing fee for almost every state office, but I don't. I'm, I'm on the the Ethics Commission website trying to find it, but I thought you guys might know off off the top of your not head. Off the, not off the top of my hand. Well, I I don't think it's that high. I want to say for like president, it's twenty five thousand. 
um, in Oklahoma. I mean, it varies state to state. But because this is one of the deals that, like, I to put your name on the ballot, yeah, really. Like, I know for state, for the state legislature, you can, you can either pay a fee or you can get uh, a certain number of, of signatures in your district to get you on the, on the ballot. Because, like, um, several years ago, Danielle Zell, that was running for Senate District Forty. I think she knocked doors to, which is, I mean, that's a strategy, right? Is to knock doors and go ahead and meet voters while you're doing it. And then um, here's, oh, I found it. Hey, all right. Uh, this is on the uh, election. It's ok.gov slash elections slash a bunch of stuff. For U.S. Senator, it's $2,000. For U.S. House, it's $1,000. Governor's 2000 1000 for the rest of the statewides. State Senator, 750 State Rep, 500 um, district judge, 500 DA, 500 County office, 300. Still or, so no fewer than 2% of the registered voters in the district, county or state. So if you can get 2% of voters statewide, you could avoid paying that, that $2,000. Still so weird that we elect judges and DAs just every time it comes up. I feel like it's important to say that it is weird, but it's also like, uh, I feel like that's, like a double-edged sword, right? Like it's weird to elect them, but then the idea of like just what, what's the other option? Having them be appointed, I guess having, having them, them be a, having them be appointed by the bar. Where's the other option? Oh, uh, that makes right. Sense. Okay, right. I mean, having I'm you, okay a... with electing judges and DAs. What I'm not okay with is partisan elections related to positions, right? right. And those aren't have folks. those aren't partisan right now, right? I guess the DA. I mean, there are some, um, some judicial ones. Judicial ones that that can be partisan, right? Um, well, and just but, because they they're just because there's not an R or a D on your name next to the ballot doesn't mean it's not partisan, right? Like, you know, I think we can, I think we can, I think we can say that the Oklahoma City Council race is nonpartisan, but I think we can also safely say that David Holt and Joe Beth are not in the same party. Right and and wouldn't be <clears throat> and wouldn't be if the races were partisan, right? And that's but I would argue that if if city council and the mayoral's race was partisan, they would be further apart than they actually are. Like they would have to run further apart than they than they govern. But that's I, probably I'm, true. But I'm pretty sure I've seen some signage for the DA race of someone saying Republican for DA, right? Where people can self subscribe. Um, and to me, I'd rather not have a Republican or Democrat DA. I want someone who's going right. to, you know. Right. That's well, like uh, Jared Deck in Norman is running for Norman City Council and his signs say, like, vote Democrat, vote Deck or something along those lines. Like he's tying his name with the alliteration to that party. Um, and I, I mean, if that's a winning strategy for you, that there's nothing that prohibits you from doing that. But I think to your point, most voters don't know. Uh, and I think, especially in these in these partisan times, a lot of voters would like some politics removed from the process, right? Because it's so ugly. Um, and you know, why are some of these races partisan? What does that actually achieve, right? Is it just a shorthand to know what they stand for, or is it a, a simple code to know if they're going to fund the police or defund the police, or you know, whatever it is? But it, it's really I mean, the county assessors race, I think, is partisan, but like, what do they even do, right? What is, why does, what does that matter? Agreed. And I mean, I think when we take um, that party affiliation out, it gives people that opportunity to do their own digging to find out about a candidate more so than relying on, you know, a letter behind someone's name. I think that's one of my issues overall in the voting system related to straight ticket voting. It always makes me concerned because people have that ability just to say, oh, I don't even need to look at the name. I'm just going to pick a party. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. I do want to go back to the Senate race. We're kind of, because I'm i getting a sidetracked. I, mean, I want to shift over to, to the R's. Okay. So, you know, Senator Inhofe says in one breath that he's retiring and that he is endorsing his chief of staff, Lou Holland, 
to be his replacement since then. Uh, it, he's he's definitely throwing his weight behind uh, Mr. Holland. He's hosting a number of fundraisers across the state. There's one here in Nichols Hills, one in Bartlesville, one in Tulsa. Um, a question that I have asked um, around to some people and no one seems to have any answer is, and so I'm going to ask you guys, why Luke Holland? <laughs> like, why is why is Jim Inhofe saying this this guy who's who's never run for office, who's never held office, who hasn't lived in Oklahoma, uh, doesn't appear for the last 10, 12 years. He's been he's been in, in D.C. He's only ever worked for Senator Inhofe. He's never worked for anybody else. Um, so he's risen rapidly through the ranks in this one office, but it's not like he's been a Senate staffer. Right. He hasn't been a committee staffer, one of the one of the paid professionals that's that's a staffer uh, uh, for the legislature um, because of their expertise in a given area. I, I have a theory, but I'm just curious. Why do you think that the Senator is, has, has decided to try and, and, and uh, put his thumb on the scale for Luke Holland, as opposed to uh, one of the other folks that we knew it was inevitable, who, who we knew it was inevitable was going to get in the race. I mean, I, I think it's because Inhofe, I think Inhofe is a smart politician, right? You don't serve an office for public office for 50 whatever years without being a, a shrewd politician. And I think he wanted to do a couple of things. He wanted to announce his retirement in a way that would not allow the governor to appoint somebody. And then he also wanted to intentionally not support any particular candidate, right? Like the flip side is that he could have he could have resigned yesterday sometime after march 1st and said i you know and have already worked out an agreement with the governor on who his replacement was going to be for the appointment and it would have been like a hand in glove it would have just happened but that's not how they did it so i think i don't know i i for whatever reason i've always perceived that inhofe might not have thought very highly of governor stitt i don't i i'm basing that on very little evidence it's just like a gut feeling that I have. Well, but even beyond Governor Stitt, right? Senator Inhofe had the ability to endorse someone in an election in this last election, right? Because he didn't have to run. He could have easily endorsed any of the current folks who are members of Congress or political figures or lawmakers, etc. Um, so I, I do wonder the same question, Scott, about like, why isn't Congressman Mullen someone that Senator Inhofe would endorse? Or why isn't T.W. Shannon someone that Senator Inhofe would endorse? Like, what are those things that he's not trusting of them to not be willing to endorse someone who's been in the political trenches of Oklahoma for a long time. So here's my thought, and maybe I'm crazy and I don't know Jim Inhofe. So maybe this is not how he rolls. Um, I think, I think that the Senator um, is retiring. I'm sure there are multiple reasons why he's retiring. I think he wants somebody in that seat who owes their entire political fortunes to him. That's what I think. I I think, and that would not be true. Even if even with his endorsement, that would not be true of T.W. Shannon. It would not be true of Mark Wayne Mullen, and it certainly wouldn't be true of anybody that Governor Stitt appointed. I I think that if possible, I think if possible, Senator Inhofe wants somebody in the seat who, if they have a question. They're going to ask him if they don't know how to approach a relationship. They're going to ask him if they want a perspective on an issue. They're going to ask him. And if they have any question about what they want to do, they're going to say, Hey, Senator, what should I do? That's what I think. And, 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 and I think that they, I think that, I think that the Senator, I mean, Jim Inhofe is a savvy political operator. He has been for a long time. Um, you know, he's done a lot of favors for a lot of people. It's always good to have people owe you favors. And if you can't be a United States Senator, the next best thing is having one in your pocket. I mean, but the other step beyond having someone who's going to be reliant on you in the way that you described, Scott, is the electability piece, right? Because if that was the case, 
then there should have been some forward thought of how do you get your chief of staff to have name ID in the state of Oklahoma, right? I looked at the Twitter account and there's not even 500 followers on the personal account, right? And so 100%. that's a reflection that like, it's, it's going to be, you know, I, I feel like because he has the blessing of the senator that the money will come in for him, that he needs to be competitive. But when it comes to the behaviors of voters, they won't know who he is in that primary. So it's going to make it even tougher for him to make it out of that primary and, and quickly catch up to speed in the next, what? You months for this Bailey, primary, I th- right? I th- like, I think you're a hundred percent right, but I also I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an example. Uh, I'm gonna say that one year before now, obviously we're a little bit less than a year. It's not exactly analogous, but one year before the uh, before the election of 2018, I bet you less than one in ten Oklahomans knew who Jake Evans was. Right, enough money can buy you name ID. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think Luke Holland is going to win. I don't even think he's going to be in the runoff that this race will eventually progress to. I, I don't know that this was, I, to your to your point, I don't know that this was a good plan by Inhofe's camp like to, to, to do it this way. But to me, the only thing that makes, I shouldn't say the only thing that makes sense, the thing that makes the most sense is that Inhofe, could endorse Mark Wayne Mullen. He could endorse T.W. Shannon. He could endorse, you know, whoever. Um, but they would they would accept his blessing. They would be grateful for it. And then they would move on and do their own thing. Um, and I think the senator wants somebody who's going to do what he wants. But what but does it mean to do your own thing, right? Like, I think, and, and one of the differences I'd say with Governor Stitt is that he had a whole year <laughs> maybe a little bit longer to build name ID, right? In the Republican ranks, Luke Holland has a few months to be able to do that. And it's gonna be tough, uh, especially trying to separate yourself among people who have very, like how further right can you go beyond Congressman Mullen, T.W. Shannon, et cetera. You know what I mean? And so I think yeah. that's what's going to make it tough for him is, is the length of time. But I, I also wonder to your to your question, like what would it mean for someone to, to move in a different direction than Senator Inhofe would? I don't, I don't mean necessarily mean move in a different direction, like policy wise. I think they're going to, I think the way that they're going to vote is probably going to be exactly the same right it's like i think that's i think i think the votes they're going to take are going to be the same but i think the way that they handle other things you know relationships how they operate in the senate that dynamic you know the way that they you know uh trying to get somebody a spot on the armed services committee maybe you know that like that kind of stuff um is kind of more what I'm thinking of. Not so much that anybody's going to take or stake out markedly different policy positions. You're saying that the politics of the role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. all that kind of. I mean, I, I understand the desire to have someone to kiss the ring, right, and to be a kingmaker. Um, but I think if having not served an elected office in Washington at all, right, certainly much less time than Senator Inhofe, I think one thing that seems to be the case is that once you're out of the game you are out of the game now that's not always the case there's some people that dabble right but given senator inhoff's age and um and his i don't know what his willingness is to participate in the game in an ongoing basis uh, but i think he could somewhat be like fairly quickly pushed to the side once the election's over right so he may be thinking he's going to stay in it and he might not i don't we'll see um but i do think it's interesting to to think through you know what conversations were happening behind the scenes like did did tw shannon go to him and say you know senator will you endorse me and then mark wayne went to him and said will you endorse me and inhofe said well i can't endorse you so i'm just going to endorse my guy over here so it doesn't matter or was there a, a a direct conversation between one of those other 
name ID candidates that was like, listen, I'd love your endorsement. If you won't do it, please don't endorse the other guy, right? Like, will you just, will you stay neutral on this? And I could see that happening. But the thing that's interesting to me, I don't, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but there was a story this week that Senator Inhofe had solicited Trump's endorsement for Luke Holland and Trump refused to give it probably because he didn't know the guy and he recognizes that his name is all the. But also Trump yeah. may still be mad at Inhofe for the election stuff. Right? Oh, yeah. like... That's a good point. I forgot about that. Inhofe who, who affirmed that the election was valid and, and correct. Because even President Trump made a stink about some of the stuff related to the NDAA and, and some of the armed services things that needed to be done towards the end of the administration, right? And so um, they there, there were some feathers ruffled for him not taking the political standpoint over the the true standpoint of like there was an election fraud that happened, right? Like, yeah, I mean, and you could be right, but it could be that they, they thought that like they thought that they were going to get Trump's endorsement, that Inhofe asking for it would be enough, and that getting Trump's endorsement for Holland that would that would put him over the edge, um, or or start him getting that name ID that that he doesn't have, and then they decided to press forward even when they didn't get the endorsement. Andy, to your point, I think you're right. It could absolutely be that there was conversations between. <clears throat> Congressman Mullen or or T.W. Shannon, um, his his people. I mean, that could have happened. The, the only thing I would say, and maybe you guys have heard different. I have not. I have not personally talked to anyone that had any idea that this was coming. Right, like this took, and usually when an event like this happens, you know, if your ear is to the ground a little bit. You know, there's stuff. Oh, I'm, you know, some, I, I heard that maybe next week that there's going to be, but this seemed like, I mean, nobody had any clue until that Thursday when the, who, who was it? The Washington Post, the Times, one of those people um, put it out. And it was a, it was a media outlet on the East Coast that had it before anybody here. So that's why I don't think there were conversations between any of the folks that were running or that were inevitably going to run here is because I don't think they could have kept that quiet. And so if you're not going to talk to the folks that you know are going to run in state, why are you picking? Maybe you pick Luke Holland just to stay out of the fray. But if you're going to do that, then why just not endorse anybody, right? Like just say, I'm not endorsing anybody. I'm going to retire. Y'all have that. And so to me, that says there has to be a reason that he picked Luke Holland. And to me, the most obvious choice is because he wants him to be, you know, his kind of protege and be the next senator from Oklahoma in the mold of, and importantly, beholding to Jim Inhofe. Well, and maybe to your point, Scott, maybe there was plan for Luke to build name ID for the election that would have been, what that would have been, what, 2024 or 2026? No, 2026 it would have been, right? for Senator Inhofe's next election. So maybe there was plan for him to be groomed, to build that name ID, to be that next person to run when that seat was open, but it was inevitable. Everybody knew this day was coming, whether it was, you know, as soon as it did in March or if it was six years from now. Right. I don't think anyone expected Senator Inhofe to run again and then take another six years beyond these current, you know, six years through 2026. So I would suspect that some conversation had to have been happening of mentorship, grooming, all of those things, thinking about the future of Senator Inhofe wasn't going to be there forever. But also with the um, endorsement from Donald Trump, we can't forget that T.W. Shannon was a staunch supporter of Donald Trump. I mean, he Absolutely. was one of the top leaders of Blacks for Trump. He stumped for President Trump in the second election. So he was deeply involved. And so 
he also may have felt some um, discomfort for the fact that there was somebody who deeply supported him that's also running in the race. So that might be another factor. No, I, I, I'm going to disagree with you there, Bailey, because that would entail Donald Trump thinking about somebody besides himself with any sort of like, I just, yeah, I, (laughs) I, I I, I was, I was with you up until that. (laughs) Well, but like when somebody makes you mad, i.e. Senator Inhofe, and then somebody is for you, i.e. T.W. Shannon, that does make you think about, you know what I'm saying? And and that is also the type of leadership and politicking that he had as president. So I don't think it's too far off for him to be like, I'll pass on that. And it wouldn't surprise me if at some point we saw a endorsement from Donald Trump. So uh, let's pivot away from that and talk a little bit about uh, energy, of all things. Uh, So yesterday uh, on the 10th, Governor Stitt's uh, official Twitter account tweeted, I am thrilled to announce Oklahoma is teaming up with Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson and Louisiana Governor um, John Bell Edwards to compete to establish a regional hub to develop and produce clean hydrogen. Oklahoma has been a pioneer in industry for over a century. Then he goes on in the next tweet to say, developing hydrogen as a fuel and manufacturing feedstock will help us stay ahead of the curve. Our pipeline infrastructure and vast natural resources make us uniquely qualified for this hub to win this hub along with our partners. Now more than ever, we need to embrace an all of the above approach. This is, um, I think, particularly interesting that this is happening now on the backdrop of the uh, Russia-Ukraine war record high oil and gas prices and the fact that there's been a very vocal call for um, president biden to you know to call on uh, u.s oil companies to produce more uh, and to really like focus on that and then here we've got the governor also talking about hydrogen as a as a additional uh, you know supplemental fuel source um that is in, I would say, I guess, in, in competition, right, with our oil and gas companies as it is now. Although I think, isn't there one a- thing I learned recently is that there's different types of oil around the world. So it's like this kind of menu of options. So that's why it's not as easy as like just stop taking gas from, I mean, oil from this part of the world. Like it's not as simple as. America can solely produce all of the oil and all the types of oil that the world needs. Right. Well, and there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, there's been uh, on Twitter, at least a, a copious amounts of, of people chiming in to say, well, you don't just like flip a switch and start producing oil automatically. Like you gotta, you gotta get permits. You gotta move the equipment there. You gotta drill the hole. You gotta start pumping it. You gotta transport that somewhere. You gotta refine it. Like it's, it's like a two year lead time before that oil hits the market and we need, it's not going to affect prices today. And and that's what the oil and gas companies are concerned about is they ramp up production and then costs decline because, you know, things, the war's over, things settle, whatever, you know, whatever happens um, to make those prices decline. And now they've essentially, you know, the, the ROI is not there, <laughs> right, on on how much they're producing. And so they're like, we want to monitor production more than scale up so that we don't lose any earnings. Well, and and that's a good point, Bailey. I, I, a number of U.S. producers, I think, including like Devin and Chesapeake and ones in our state, said their, their plan is to increase production you know, the number of wells and all that 5% a year and nothing, and they're not inclined to make, you know, long-term investments in a short-term problem. And so their plan was to stick with that 5% increase. Now, of course, in the meantime, the oil they are selling right now is at record high prices, which means they're bringing in huge profits. I know there's been some discussion at the state capitol about, okay, well, should we find a way to help the state benefit from this as well, right? I mean, obviously they're still paying their, whatever their gross production tax rate, flat rate is on their production of oil, but they're making a bigger profit right now. And so there's some discussion of like, well, what if we need like 
essentially like an additional production tax that's only triggered in times of plenty, right? To like skim a little extra for the state so that that we as a as a collective community also benefit when gas prices are good or oil prices are good. It's so like the opposite of like the tax cut trigger for income yeah, tax. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. We know that's a bad idea, but maybe this is a good idea. Um and of course, you know, in order to pass any kind of revenue raising measure, they'd have to have a three quarter majority in both chambers. So it's not going to happen. Um, but this does mean that for right now, right? However long this conflict lasts, however long these oil prices remain inflated, um, these oil and gas companies are going to be bringing in lots of money. And historically, that usually means they invest in some infrastructure, right? They do more charitable giving. They buy t-shirts for Thunder Games. They build buildings. And then those buildings go vacant 10 years later when oil crashes, right? And so we have seen this cycle. We know this cycle well. Um, and they do too. And I think that's the part of the conversation that is hard for the public to to grasp is, is that they know their cycle as well. They know that if they ramp up production and things like that, that things will change. And then they'll have to lay off more people, close more rigs, all those kinds of things. And so um, to your point, Andy, um, I, I think they're, they're, they're playing the game of capitalism, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> That's, that's mean, what they're doing right now. Yeah, they're they're benefiting their shareholders, right? Um, which is, I mean, it's just a difficult thing. Be, and I think for me, this is particularly worrisome because we're in the middle of the legislative session and decisions about our state budget are being made, right? And, you know, like it or not, even though we all know that this is a uh, temporal situation, right? That Oil prices will fluctuate. They will go down at some point. We've seen it time and time and time and time again. But we've also seen the state legislature make decisions based on high oil prices that we always come back to regret, right? And and it just is maddening to be like, you guys know, we all know what's going to happen, right? Boom and bust. We've, we've lived this for decades and we keep... It's you know maybe it's different people every time right it's just enough time well, and they're and they're already poised to make some terrible budget decisions this year anyway because they got a billion extra dollars in federal money right there's a billion dollars sitting there of federal one time funds and they're saying oh well, we can we can cut all kind of taxes because we got a billion extra dollars oh that by the way aren't going to be coming back next year so you combine a billion extra dollars with record high gas prices and the the history of the Oklahoma State Legislature does not bode well for Oklahoma's budget in the next three to five years. Um, you know, um, but what is faring in the favor of the people are the the priority differences of the House and the Senate right now, right? And I think that's going to be the key on what happens going forward, right? Because you have one chamber that's passionate about one area and another chamber that's passionate about another. And even what type of tax cuts they want to do in this season aren't clear and in alignment with the legislature, because that is one thing they do know is they can't do all the things. So it's like, which thing is it going to be? And sometimes it may be to the point where there's like a stalemate. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen around this time? But to your point, Andy, like we have to plan for the long term and not when you know, things are good, right? Uh, as I'll give credit to J.D. Baker for this, he he made a, a, a comment that like, you don't quit your job just because you won the lottery today, right? <laughs> like you got I mean, is, is, is it the Is it the Mega Millions? Well, let's let's say you want I mean, 50,000. If, if you are I mean, 100,000, 100, right? Like you what's that, what's that one that gets, what's that one that gets up to like, 950 million sometimes which one's that yeah, no, no, that's that's a different story <laughs> that's definitely a different I, story. <laughs> i i love my work but if i won a 900 million dollar lottery i'm i might think about retiring 
But I will say the legislature doesn't have a $950 million equivalent at an individual level, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And the other thing that's hanging over all this is the bill that did not get heard in committee this week, uh, or at least not yesterday, and I don't think it did today, uh, is... Uh, Senator treats a voucher bill that's not a voucher bill, right? Um, that has not passed the floor yet. I have no doubt that it will. But I think what you're going to see is that the the uh, education savings accounts bill is going to come down and be a part of budget negotiations. We know that there are some tax cuts. There are some tax cuts that uh, uh, Speaker McCall has really wanted for the last couple of years that haven't made it through. And part of the reason they haven't made it through is because Senator Treat uh, and and his colleagues on on that side of the dome have said that they don't think that the tax cuts are a good idea. Um, but now you've got something that uh, Senator Treat really wants and something Senator McCall really wants. And I suspect there will be some horse trading before before we're done, and we'll see some form of vouchers uh, that pass the House in exchange for corporate income tax, if if not zeroed out, certainly a reduction. Which is, uh, I think, maybe bad fiscal policy. Two two bad policies for the price of one. Right. I mean, they both would benefit uh, wealthy individuals far more, maybe exclusively, right, um, above folks that have lower incomes. So, And the interesting part is that from both chambers, we've heard a lot of rhetoric about giving relief to the people. And so that'll be interesting to see is what exactly that's going to, to mean and if there's going to be any policy that that puts truth to that but to the points that are just lifted now it doesn't it's not seeming like that's going to be the the path of compromise it does make you want to say which people who who specifically are you referring to to whom um yeah scott so you mentioned uh that treats voucher bill did not it didn't even get heard this week it didn't get um they they pulled it from the agenda. Um, from what I've heard, the the whip count is pretty close, right? Some people were, some legislators were not there this week that might have voted for it. So we'll see what happens next week. Um, the Senate is scheduled to meet Monday and Tuesday. And from what I've heard, they're planning to get some work done. I think the House may gavel in and gavel out um, on both days since it is uh, spring break. Uh, but again, the next deadline, the floor deadline, isn't until the 24th, I guess, uh, towards the end of this month. So there's still a couple of weeks left that these bills could pass. And I, Scott, I think you're right. There's undoubtedly some uh, haggling that will be occurring behind closed doors, right? That's that's what happens in politics. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what that final result is. I do think, uh, you know, the the huge attacks that like OCPA launched against the speaker, um, some of this stuff is is probably rubbing some lawmakers the wrong way, right? Like they're getting irritated by this as they do every year, right? And so it's tough because you don't want to put too much stock in the fact that someone's irritated today because they'll take next week off and maybe they'll feel better about it um, or they'll get promised something. But I think from what I've heard, you know, like some uh, some proponents of these voucher bills are, are beginning to threaten that they would primary candidates, you know, primary incumbents. And, uh, um, because it's important to remember a lot of legislatures, a lot of legislators, even ours, particularly in the rural communities don't want this anyway. Right. And there's good polling that says it's not popular. It's less popular in urban districts than it is in rural districts, but it's not popular anywhere. Right. This is something that, this is something that's really, really popular in Republican focus groups and in Republican primaries and with kind of certain segments within the Republican Party. But this is not something that's broadly pop- broadly popular. And you have legislators that already don't like the fact that their arms are getting twisted. And now you're running ads in their home districts. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it's just they're they're really pissing some people off with this. Well, and and there was a story, and I'm trying to remember, it's um, in Enid News, actually, um, about how there was tension between educators and um, the governor even during his visit there. Um, Because to your point, in rural areas, you know, they, they value their public schools because the public schools in those areas um, are part of the lifeblood of the community, right? That they're one of the main employers of people. Um, in many 
rural areas, like they have the ones, like for example, Enid's the best example because uh, they just completed within the past couple of years, um, a bond investment where they made significant upgrades to their school facilities, to their um, gymnasium and other things related to their, their school. So why would they want less students going to the brand new facilities that they updated for their students, right? And so there just isn't that value piece that many folks in rural areas can see of this type of policy. And so um, it's it's true. It's it's true that that it's it's not popular in rural areas. Also, as an aside, I want to throw out there, Bailey, you mentioned this, uh, the Enid News and Eagle, fantastic paper, fantastic local paper. If you are looking for a like good source of news for what is happening in Oklahoma outside of uh, the OKC uh, and like Tulsa metros, Enid News and Eagle, great source for the uh, north central part of north central part of the state. Yeah, they are good. I've I've been to their uh, their office actually. Um, Scott, you mentioned polling about this earlier, and this is uh, I think something important. I'm I'm sure some of our listeners saw this week. Um, that on, I think Wednesday, actually, uh, OEA had commissioned a poll from the Terrence Group, which is a uh, a polling group that works almost exclusively with Republican members of the U.S. Senate, including our own Senator Lankford, right? Um, they are a well-respected, well-known polling firm. And they did this poll, and they have published, there's a poll of uh, 600 likely voters in, in Oklahoma, and they published all the data, the methodology, all that stuff that you would expect. And that is different than the other, I'll say, quote, polling that has been released from uh, the governor's office. Yeah. Or which, the straw polls on, on, twi- on Twitter. Like, oh, that's yeah, not right. a real poll. No, it's not well, a real poll. Right. But even the governor's office, the governor's spokeswoman has been out this week with screenshots of some poll that we have no data about showing how showing how popular this is and then she's coming out saying oh well because oklahoma uh, oea commissioned this poll that means it's unreliable she actually said pro tip who commissioned the poll is is more important than who did it and that's um not true <laughs> so uh, just some quick top lines in case uh, listeners haven't seen it and i'll i can uh uh you probably see the news story but some top lines on this uh 55 of oklahomans rated the public schools in their area as being good or excellent. So that's a, a good majority. Um, 83% rated their te- this teachers and their child's public school as being uh, good or excellent. And then when you word questions in a way that really describes, I think, what this bill would do. So the question is, do you favor or oppose using taxpayer dollars to fund private school tuition? Which is, that's what a voucher does, right? Um, it is 61% um, oppose, right? Either strongly or or somewhat oppose, and only uh, only 33% in favor, and only 6% unsure. So, like Oklahomans, by and large, are are pretty determined on this, either for or against, and it's a two to one oppose, right? Um, do you uh, would you break it down into urban, rural, and suburban? Um, 55, excuse me, 56% of rural voters oppose using taxpayer dollars to fund private schools. 68% of urban um, uh, voters oppose and 65% of suburban oppose, oppose. So like that's, and, and of those, like it's a huge majority strongly oppose. Like Oklahomans are opinionated about this and it is, they are strongly opposed to the vouchers. And so, um, the like they tested messages about like you know if you uh if you heard that these voucher programs mean there's less money available to maintain or improve schools private schools are not required to follow the student testing programs you know things like that um, it only drove uh the the number that oppose them even higher and so this i mean when this polling came out i I know Scott and I, and I think it's probably in our little group text. It was like a, the shot heard around the world where everyone was like, Oh, now that we have the data, 
it really is clear that Oklahomans don't like this bill. And that's when we saw support at the Capitol evaporate pretty quickly, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is, a, like I said, this is a, a, I think this is an A, an A or A plus polling firm rated by 538. They're a highly rated polling firm. They do really good work. This is a good poll. They've published all the appropriate data that you want to see when you analyze the poll. Um, I think this is, this is, I'll, I'll say this. No one poll tells the whole story about any issue. Um, you know, your best option is to take an average, um, but you should only take an average of polls about which you have all the information. Um, and and so I think this is a at the very least, this is a really good, a really good snapshot. Um, and and certainly a point that I think a lot of lawmakers are gonna take seriously, right? And let's and let's be clear, I don't think every every senator and 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 state rep is going to be like pouring through the the cross tabs but i think what you're going to hear circulating in the apples is oh shit langford's polling group says that this is a terrible idea right <laughs> right this wasn't this wasn't you know change research right like um who does who also polls? who also who also does great work but they have a reputation of working exclusively with democrats right, right. so that's right well, this brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, listeners, thank you for being here. Scott, thank you for being here. Uh, sorry I have to miss next week, but glad to be here today. Bailey, thanks for being here as well. Of course, we'll miss it. And as Scott said, he won't be here next week, but Bailey and I will, and we'll be joined by two special guests, Representative Marilyn Bell uh, and uh, Lauren Schruler from OU. She's also a Norman City Council member, and they're coming on the show to talk about lots of stuff most notably or i don't know if it's most notably, but notably because next week will be our 200th episode uh and because this is women's history month we're gonna talk about women and about leadership um i'm honestly just probably along for the ride right to showcase um these uh, competent important powerful women um, that help run our world i wish we had more of them uh, so i'm excited looking forward to it uh, and then I think we've probably teased in the past that we were planning something for our 200th episode and we're still planning it. That's the truth. We're just, it, the timing is not working out. Uh, and the weather appears to not cooperate either since every Thursday for the last two months, we've had snow, it seems like, uh, so listeners, for those of you who came to our 100th episode live event, um, think about that. We'll plan something for later in the spring probably towards the end of session when we all could use a break um, and maybe find a patio and, and an adult beverage and make some you know, Oklahoma government trivia. Could be a fun week. Uh, and so stay tuned for that. We don't have a date yet, but we'll let you know. Until then, don't forget that decisions are made by those who show up. Uh, have a good weekend and find ways to show up for your neighbor, for your family, for your community. Have a good week.